Well, good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. It has been a long week for uh, myself and my sons as we have traveled back from Alaska. And if I can get my... There we go. I bring greetings uh, from Mark and Andrea and uh, had an enjoyable time with them this past uh, week together. It was great to see them. Uh, by the way, I'm the one taking the selfie. You can tell I don't do that very well. Uh, but uh, just a great time to be with them in Alaska. It was an enjoyable time to see the camp. I had never been there before. And to see the ministry that goes on this week, their first campers will start to come in from all over southwest Alaska. There's about a 500-mile radius uh, from the overall area that they cover and uh, that all is by air traffic. So the only campers that come in are flying in uh, through the passes and through uh, the dirt runways and so forth all over Alaska and southwest Alaska. So we praise the Lord for the ministry that is going on there. It is a needed ministry. It is a dark place. One of the things that struck me when uh, we first landed, when my boys and I first landed in Anchorage, was the darkness of just the, the spiritual condition of the people. And uh, I hadn't felt that in most places in the United States. Uh, but you certainly feel it there. You feel the, the addictions, you feel the struggles that are there, and that is certainly so as you get out into southwest Alaska where there's no roads, you can't drive to Port Aylesworth, uh, you can only fly there. And so we praise the Lord for the diligence of our missionaries who are faithfully serving the Lord wherever they are, but especially as we think of Mark and Andrea, their love, they send their greetings and their love to you, and uh, we're very thankful for their ministry. And so in a moment, I'll be praying for them as well. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing in our study of the book of Philippians, and so I invite you and encourage you to take your Bibles and turn there as we look into these passages that uh, we've already read for our call to worship this morning. We're going to dig into these very, very familiar words as we do so together. Uh, last week in Alaska, I we found in several gift shops selling shirts, postcards, magnets with this image on it, uh, or something similar. Uh, you know, I was going to say that was our rental car, but it wasn't either. It was just, uh, just a meme I found. But this is what, you go into just about any gift shop in Alaska, and this is what you see. Somewhere in the store, they're selling a magnet or a shirt or something that looks like this. Um, it reminded me, as I was preparing for Alaska, it reminded me of the advice that the Natural, National Park Service had posted on its Instagram account back in February. When you're going to a, a Bush, Alaska, you kind of prepare and just say, okay, what's going on in Bush, Alaska? So I was watching the National Park Service and just uh, reading up on some of these things. And uh, on their Instagram account in February, they wrote this, please don't run from bears or push your slower friends down and attempt to save yourself. Uh, that's from the National Park Service. Uh, and uh, they go on, and this one is, is serious. If you come upon a stationary bear, move away slowly and sideways. This allows you to keep an eye on the bear and avoid tripping. It added, do not push down your slower friend, even if you think your friendship has run its course. And one last bit of advice for slower friends, check in, this is for you slower friends, check in on the friendship before you go into the woods. Joking aside, we know, we know 
anxiety to be a destructive force. I was talking with Mark, and he was sharing of some grizzly bears that on the other side of the lake from them over the winter have destroyed cabin after cabin after cabin after cabin on the lakeshore just for the fun of it. Uh, they think it's two juvenile bears that would break into the cabin and they would rip apart the cushions of the couch. They would tear all the dishes out of the cabinets. They would destroy everything inside of the cabin just because they could. Anxiety is that kind of destructive force. It is not one where you can push your slower friend to the ground to save yourself. Jesus said to end his message on worrying in John chapter 6, verse 34, that every day is filled with trouble. Anxieties stalk you, they sneak up on you, they chase you, and they seek to destroy you. All of us here in the hearing, both online and in this room together, all of us have experienced anxieties. We experience worries. And just as, Paul reader, as Paul's readers must have experienced it, so do we. But Paul reminds us that we are to destroy anxiety. That is the title of our message. And this is the focus. He says it's not just about destroying anxiety. There's a positive side as well. There's a negative and a positive. The negative is that we are to avoid being anxious over anything. And in order to have victory over anxiety, it requires the positive, a consistent prayer life in the life of the believer. Beloved, you and I have a great resource that we do not use often enough. Paul is going to call us out for it this morning. As we begin to spend time in the Word of God together, we've read the text already. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for the privilege that we have this morning spending a few moments in a text that is very familiar to us, a text that many of us have probably memorized or have spoken to one another and encouragement to one another have had spoken to us. Lord, this morning I pray that as we dig into this text that we would not allow the familiar elements of it to devoid us of the opportunity to understand what the text is saying. Lord, I praise you that we have great opportunity to spend time in your word together. And on this morning, as we read the news headlines, as we prepare for a busy summer, we recognize that there are so many reasons for us, from a world's perspective, to be anxious, to have anxieties and worries. I pray that we would apply, begin to apply now, as we sit in the chairs, but then fully implement as we depart from here, not only that we are to be anxious about nothing, but that we are to be praying about everything. Help us to put both of these truths into a practical application and working this morning. That your name would be glorified in all that is said and done here, but all that is said and done as we depart from here as well. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the time we can spend in your word. Give me the words to speak that your people would glean from your word that your name would be glorified in it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Verse 6 of chapter 4 in the book of Philippians, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're going to start here in verse 6, and in order to start here, we recognize that the command is that we are to stop worrying. It's a, a direct imperative. We have 
already recognized that we're in a list of imperatives that Paul has given to us, and they start back in verse 4 that we saw last week. We have the command, and remember, this is Paul who is chained to a guard. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. That is our first imperative of this chapter, is as a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter the circumstances, we are called, we are commanded to rejoice. That's an imperative, it's an an action, a call to something that we should respond with in obedience. Paul continues with the commands, the imperatives, and he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now you may have memorized this text, you may have memorized this verse, you may have it hung up on your mirror in your bathroom, you may have it uh, somewhere that you see it on a regular basis, pops up on your phone or But do you practice it? Paul says, stop worrying. And he issues the clear command. Considering this command, isn't this an astonishing statement? Be anxious about nothing. Who among us has never experienced anxieties? Not a single one of us. We have all experienced anxieties, large and small. Those things that are Uh, from day-to-day monotonous to those things that are uh, huge and once-in-a-lifetime kind of anxieties. This is an astonishing command that is not for those who are even keeled. Say, well, there are those in our midst who they just handle stress better than everybody else, so this is a command for them. No. It's also not a command that is only given to those who are wound tight, who are anxious about everything. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 settle down, you who are wound tight. No, Paul says to the believer at Philippi, be anxious about nothing. Do not have anxieties. The imperative that Paul is presenting is for you as much as it was for the original readers, the original audience at Philippi. To be anxious means to be pulled in different directions. Our hope pulls us in one direction and our fears pull us in another. And so we're being ripped apart literally by anxieties. We, we want our hope to come to fruition, but we have our fears and we, wound up, and we wind up rather being pulled apart in opposite directions. Our English word for worry is a similar word picture, and it is likely the word picture that Paul is implementing here. So our English word for worry comes from an old German word, virgin, which means to choke or to strangle. To choke or to strangle. Over time, it came to, be, uh, came to refer to mental strangulation. We're mentally strangulating ourselves by being bound with anxieties. It's choking the life from us. This is, this is an appropriate word picture for what Paul is trying to communicate for worry and the concept of anxiety that Paul is presenting to his readers while Paul is chained to a Roman guard, uncertain of what's going to happen tomorrow. Uncertainties present opportunities for anxieties. Things we can't control present opportunities for anxieties. Things that we know are going to take place, but we don't know how to act or interact with it. 
are all reasons for anxieties. And Paul says that this is that which is tearing us apart, while at the same time choking the life out of our spiritual well-being. So that's the command. The command is clear. There's not a lot for us to negotiate or try to find a loophole. There is no loophole. He says, do not be anxious about anything. That's clear. So why? What's the dangers? We've kind of alluded to it already, but what are the dangers? If there was any value in worry, Paul, of all people, would have had the opportunity to employ it. If worry was profitable, if anxieties were profitable, Paul certainly would have known about it as he's chained to a guard and uncertain what's going to take place tomorrow. He doesn't know if the whim of the emperor will be that today he is removed from life on this earth and how that was to take place. One author says this, worry strangles your faith, it chokes off your praise, it throttles back your courage, it never builds you up, it only tears you down, and it certainly doesn't help you get through the day or ready for the future. There is no value in worry. And so one of the dangers of worry is that it is wasted effort and a diminishment of your ability to glorify the Lord, your ability to praise the Lord, your ability to walk in faith. Worry strangles, chokes off your capacity for following in faith the things of the Lord. We know all of this already. We know it intellectually. How do we know it? Because you can walk into any bookstore, especially any Christian bookstore, and you'll find devotionals that focus on anxiety. You'll find books that have been written on anxiety. You can type in anxiety for the Christian on Google, and you'll find all kinds of articles, podcasts, and so on, all providing evidence that we know that anxieties are dangerous. We know it. Intellectually, we know it. The Word of God and Paul here in this text demands, commands, that we stop anxieties. How many of us find that easy? That's the same number who said that you didn't experience. We all struggle with anxieties and we all recognize that it is not easy to stop having anxieties. But that's the command. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. We recognize that as we sit in our seats, we have an intellectual understanding that anxieties are bad, and we sit in our seats and we decide to do a better job at stopping it, we say, I'm going to commit to stopping the anxieties, and right now in your seat, you are likely saying, I know this is wrong, and you've probably got a list of anxieties, and you're increasingly anxious about your anxieties. So how do we stop? Paul doesn't just tell us to stop doing something. He also tells us to start doing something. We must start praying. Start praying. This believer, listen carefully, this, what Paul says, is not trite. This is the inspired word of God as Paul is telling us the practical application of the command that he's just given to us. Stop 
being anxious. That's easier said than done. Paul says that he's aware that it's hard to stop being anxious, but then gives us the remedy. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul is very clear. He says there is something that you must stop and something you must start. There is the negative and the positive. You can memorize the first part of the verse and says, and say, I'm not going to be anxious about anything, but you must also put into practice the second part of the verse. You must be those who are praying about everything, and to pray over everything means everything. There's nothing that we don't take before our Lord. Paul uses three words for prayer in this verse, and he's not being repetitive. He's not saying, pray, pray, pray. He's giving us practical tools to help us combat anxieties. And we typically, because we don't see immediate response of this necessarily, we say, well, I want instant gratification. I want it my way right away. And so we struggle with what Paul is saying. And so we kind of file it away as being that which is, well, that's, that's kind of spiritualized. That's a little bit trite, and we're just going to put it over here. Don't dare make that mistake. Paul uses this tool to implement our help in anxieties. We've already acknowledged in this room that we all struggle with anxieties. We all struggle to remove anxieties. Now Paul has said this is how you remove them. So let us carefully listen to the instruction. This first term for prayer, he says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer. That's his first of three words, by prayer. This is a general term for talking with the Lord. Now, there's one item that we need to clear up because John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. This is not only true for living with the Father, in other words, coming to know Christ as Savior to be a child of God. That is one element. You can't become a child of God without coming through Christ. It is Christ alone. It is through the sacrifice of Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, that you may be saved. But Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, extends beyond just salvific truth, and also to the practical implication of being in and with the Father on a day-to-day walk. We still walk with the Father through Christ. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. It isn't Mary. It isn't Buddha, it isn't Krishna, it isn't any other. In fact, we're told in Scripture that there is um, this relationship that if you want to be with the Father, it's not even going to the Father directly, it is going through Christ to the Father. He is our mediator. Sincere people around the world spend three times a day on their knees to answer the call to prayer. And if you've ever been in a community where the call to prayer, the Islamic call to prayer, is echoing through uh, the streets, the highways and the byways, you know the eerie sound that that makes. And there are sincere people that upon hearing that sound fall to their knees, having prepared their prayer rugs, and bow three times a day. There are others who light candles. In a cathedral or 
chapel. Others who chant in jungle clearings or cry out in the middle of turmoil or practice New Age elements, incantations and chants to try to reach God. But those prayers go unanswered. No prayer to God the Father is effectively answered apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That means, believer, that because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have something to combat anxieties that the rest of the world does not. The rest of the world watches the news. They hear the events out of Ukraine this morning. They watch the events that are happening in India today. They hear of the turmoil that is happening throughout the country. They see the moral decline, and they are trapped by their anxieties. They are stuck in this verse between be anxious about nothing and prayer about everything. They can't accomplish the pray about everything because there's no relationship with Christ. That is part of the reason that you and I are to be good evangelists, share Christ with them. It is part of the reason why our life should be uh, totally and distinctly different because you and I are not driven by our anxieties. We ought not to be because we have something they do not. We have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Opposed to anxieties, which we are to be anxious about nothing, or anxious for nothing, believers are to put into practice their relationship with Jesus and, to our, and are to pray about everything. And again, this word that Paul uses here at the beginning of these three words is a general term. We are to pray. Beloved, are you in constant fellowship with your Savior? You're praying about everything. Spending time with the Lord about everything. That is the cure to anxieties. This past week we had an opportunity where I was trying to change our plane tickets. We were in Anchorage, we were trying to get back here, and we were trying to change our plane tickets. And if you've ever been on the phone with a airline trying to change plane tickets, you know that that is a stress-induced moment. And as I was on the phone, I had time, and I was in Anchorage, and I was uh, preparing a little bit for my sermon. I thought, oh, great. Uh, The preacher's got to preach to himself right now because I'm being anxious about trying to get my tickets changed. At the end of the day, it worked out exactly as I had hoped it would. But it was in that moment where the Lord spoke through his word, and I just took it to the Lord in prayer. Small, it was a small thing. It mattered the taking off from Anchorage for two hours. It meant landing here about eight hours earlier than we would have landed. It was a small thing. I still had tickets to get back, but it was a stress-induced situation. Pray about everything. That's what Paul is addressing here. These small little details pray about everything. This isn't something that you do when you sit down for a meal and you are a little self-conscious of everybody watching you at a restaurant or uh, it's a routine at home. This is 
a walk with the Lord, a consistency in praying, a consistency in taking everything to the Lord, an ongoing conversation with the Lord. That's what Paul means here in his first word when he says pray about everything. And then he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. The supplication is the second word, and this word means that we are to pray with an urgency. Pray with an urgency. This is, your translation may say petition instead of supplication. Um, Both are in view. Paul is not saying the same thing as he just said. He's not being redundant in any way. He's using each of these three words to highlight an element of your prayer life that must be alive, must be active. You are to pray all the time. And Paul would tell the Ephesians to pray without, or tell the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. We are reminded here that he's saying pray about everything. There's nothing that you should not take before the Lord. And then he says, specifically, in the urgency of the supplications, take those to the Lord as well. This word refers to praying with an urgency about whatever matters are deeply impacting you. Say, but I have this certain stress. You're praying about everything, but I'm urgent about this issue. Pray your supplications to the Lord. Paul uses this term. He's already used it twice. Turn back to chapter 1. He uses it twice in chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So one of the two words that Paul uses here is this urgency, this supplications, and it's been translated by the ESV as prayer. Paul is saying, I'm urgently praying. You are a concern for me, and I am praying for you. He uses it again in verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You can imagine the Philippian believers who love Paul, hearing of Paul's arrest, hearing of Paul's time in Rome. They are urgently praying for Paul. You could see him on the top of their prayer lists every week. We're going to pray for Paul that the Lord would deliver Paul. We're going to pray for Paul in his time of affliction when he's under Roman authority, when he's under guard, when he's under house arrest. We're praying for Paul. This is not a light prayer request. This is an urgent prayer request. Their beloved Paul needs them to pray. And they bow their knees and they pray. Paul uses that same word twice in chapter 1. One for his prayer for the saints at Philippi and one for their prayer towards Paul, or for Paul, on his behalf. Now Paul says in chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, general prayer, and supplications. These concerns that are urgent, pray those as well. And he says, pray those supplications with thanksgiving. We're going to come back and look into that word in just a moment. He says, let your, continuing on, pray with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This last one is requests. Requests. This follows in with the same urgency, and so I've put it together with the urgent. Pray with urgency. You're bringing your supplication and you're bringing your requests. The idea that Paul here is simply to bring to the Lord any specific need 
that you might have. How many times, and this is something you answer only in your hearts and in your mind, but how many times have you tried it your way first? And when you've reached a wall and you've stressed about it, you're anxious about it, you say, okay, fine, I'm going to pray about it. Those are the ones Paul says pray about. That's what Paul is saying here. These requests, when these requests come up and you've received bad health news or there's a bad financial situation or there's a difficulty that has suddenly arised in your, has arisen in your life, those are the things that you take before the Lord and you pray about those things. Even though God knows your needs, you still pray. God knows before you do those requests. So why do we withhold them from him? Why do we reserve them as if they are for ourselves? Well, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm an independent individual. I'm going to do it my way. When we take our requests before God, this is an open admission of our utter and complete dependency upon him. And isn't that where we would rather be anyway? We like the idea of being independent. We like the idea of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But it's very important that we understand that the Christian life is not an independent life. It is a life that is dependent upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a life that is dependent upon the great God that we serve the command that is used here, this picture, as Paul says, let your requests be made known to God, the command paints a picture of movement or orientation towards God. The idea is, you're here, your requests are the opportunity for you to draw in to relationship, to draw near to the Lord. Prayer refocuses the lens of life as to where it should be. You are becoming dependent. You are recognizing with open admission your dependency upon God. Prayer reorients you into a proper dependency then. It places you where you should belong. It removes the stubborn. It removes the pride. It, it removes the selfish ambitions and the self-glorification of trying to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps and celebrating a worthless victory. Paul says that we are to do this with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. This is the umbrella. He says we are to be praying about everything. Anxious about nothing, praying about everything. And when we pray about everything, we are to do so with thanksgiving. All our prayers, all of our supplications... All of our requests must be made with thanksgiving. Without thanksgiving, your prayer lists easily become a list of spiritual wants and complaints. Have you noticed that? Well, I've got this body ache and my friend has this health issue and you just go down the list and request after request becomes some sort of a wish list or a spiritual complaint. 
Paul has in mind that in everything we bring to God, we can thank him for his oversight, his provision, his protection, and the accomplishment of his will. I'm going to say that sentence again in just a moment, but I have one to interject between. This does not mean that we're thankful about everything that we bring to God. The trials that we face, the struggles that we endure, we do not have to have an attitude of thankfulness, of piety, of beating ourselves up over these issues. Thank you, Lord, for this terrible thing that has happened to me. That's not what Paul is saying. So let me say the first sentence again. Paul has in mind that in everything we bring to God, we can thank God for his oversight, his provision, protection, and the accomplishment of his will. So therefore, that changes our perspective. We can can endure cancers. We can endure hardships. We can endure difficulties. Not in the sense of saying, thank you, Lord, for giving me this ailment, but thank you, Lord, that you are walking me through this time. That's a diametrically opposed position. And I think we as Christians tend to confuse that a little bit. One author writes this. He says, praying with understanding means that we are praying with a willing understanding that God will give us what we want when we want exactly what he wants. That's a challenge for us. When we are praying with thanksgiving, we're saying, Lord, we know that you know. We know that you know what we would want if we knew all things. We know that you're going to give us what we want if we were to know all things. And we do not. And so we're dependent upon you and we're thankful for your provision. We're thankful for your protection. We're thankful for your oversight. We're thankful for the accomplishment of your will. How easy it is for you and I to be lost, trapped in this idea of trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and then reluctantly giving thanks when we see the answers that God has provided. Paul does not say, give thanks when God has answered. He says, pray everything with an attitude of thankfulness. That's before we see the answers. That's before we understand what God is doing. We may be quick to say, wow, see, see the answer to this prayer request? We're going to give thanks to God for the answer to this prayer request. Paul says, give thanks to God. While you're praying, your general prayer, while you're bringing your supplications, and while you're bringing your requests, let all of that happen with thanksgiving. You're giving thanksgiving then. Paul goes on, because he could have stopped there. And I'm fascinated with this transition to verse 7. And it's something that I, I intend to come back and study often. I've studied it many times before, and I, I return with great joy to it now. There's an interesting transition, because Paul could have stopped, and he's given us the toolbox here. He's given us the cures for anxieties. He's given us the cure for worry, But he goes on and he says, let me tell you about God's peace. Verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Paul goes that next step. Contemplate for a moment the implications to your sanctification when Paul takes this next step. When you go from prayers with thanksgiving, supplications with thanksgiving, requests with thanksgiving, and Paul says that there is going to be a change in you, if you'll do that, there is an immediate benefit. The peace of God. Not your peace, but God's peace which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God is the source of peace. It's interesting that in the, the world tries to blend this together. They're anxious about all things, and they call for peace in all ways. And we'll hear the, those who are calling out on the streets, peace, peace. You're going to hear it in beauty contestants. You're going to hear it all, all over the place. What do you want? World peace. We just want peace, 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 peace. But they don't know the things that bring peace, Christ said. They don't understand what brings peace. You as a believer in Jesus Christ, you do know what brings peace. That is found only in Christ Jesus, only in your relationship with him. And it is through that relationship with him where you're bringing your requests, your supplications, and your prayers, and he gives you his peace. The command of verse 6 now give way to the promises of verse 7. God promises the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God doesn't come from within us. I've heard this testimony many times and of those who were near death and in the last moments, just moments before, there's a tremendous peace for those who know Christ. Typically, there's a tremendous peace. Just a few short days ago, Eleanor Ransom, Miriam Lofquist's mom, passed away. I knew Ira and Eleanor years and years and years ago. I've known them for a long time. Our first church supported them in missions, and they were pioneer missionaries on the Utah Mormon field. One of the key statements that came out as I was reading of Eleanor's passing was the tremendous peace that she had in the moments before meeting her Savior. What a great joy. This is why the psalmist says that the Lord rejoices in the death of his saints. This is a peace that is only from God himself, and it makes a tremendous impact. It made a tremendous impact on the nurses who were ministering to Eleanor Ransom, who said to the family, she was in incredible peace. What a testimony. May that be your testimony in those times of trials. The peace of God is not something that you conjure up in some sort of strength that you have. It is God's peace. This is a common belief in our world today that peace comes from within you. It is taught. It is the principles behind all of the New Age, Eastern religious systems if you buffet your body, 
if you bend your body or relax your body in certain ways that you will achieve peace. Beloved, that is lies. The peace that you as a believer receive emanates from the very character of God. It is His peace. Left to your own devices, you will not have peace. You'll have anxieties. You'll have worries. You'll have stresses. This isn't the California surfer dude where everything's okay and you're just going to go from drifting from one created high to another created high. This is an actual peace that becomes our peace. This is what your soul has craved since the Garden of Eden. The separation between God and man. The peace that has now been brought. The life of the believer. It's not devoid of trials, because you will have trials. I could ask, but I'd get the same result in my previous surveys from this message. How many of us have never had trials? We'd get the same result. We've all had trials, right? How do you deal with them? How do you interact with them? Do you have peace through them? Paul says that this is a peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, you can't comprehend it. You can't manufacture it. But you can obtain it. Because it is God's peace given to you who know Christ as Savior in a relationship with Christ where you are making your prayers, your supplications, and your requests with thanksgiving known to be made known to God. Where you are pouring all things out to Him, not on, not on the crisis point, but including the crisis point. In all things, those things laid out before the Lord, and His peace becomes your peace. Paul says, but it also guards it also guards. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is a blessing more significant than you and I could possibly comprehend. Paul says that it surpasses our comprehension. One author writes this on that point, Our challenge is not eliminating our unpleasant circumstances or even understanding them. It is learning to trust our infinite, wise, all-powerful, and gracious God. I appreciated that statement. Because it is a reminder that whatever trials and circumstances you have, we spend so much time trying to figure them out. And we should just pour them over to the Lord. Paul says that the peace that surpasses your comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds. Beloved, Paul is writing this as he's chained to a guard. He's writing this as he has no certainty about tomorrow. We've already seen, as Paul is writing through uh, to this letter to the Philippians, we've already seen him say, I intend to do, I plan on, but Paul's plans are not certain plans. Paul's plans are built in anticipation that he will be released, but there's no promise of the release. Paul is writing as he's chained to a Roman guard, and tomorrow is uncertain. 
If there was anyone on the planet who had reason for anxieties, it was Paul. Because the Romans didn't treat their prisoners very nice, in case you didn't know that. Paul had reason for anxiety. Paul says, there's a peace when you've presented all of it to the Lord. You've given it all to him through prayer, prayer, supplications, and requests, all known with thanksgiving to the Lord. There's a peace of God which surpasses understanding, but he doesn't stop there either. He says that peace will guard your heart and your mind. It's almost as if Paul is saying, it's not the Roman guards who are guarding me. It's the peace of God which is guarding me. It was God's peace guarding Paul's heart. That is what he was feeling. One of the great sources of anxieties are just your feelings, trying to suppress your feelings or feelings you don't understand. Paul says the peace of God will guard your feelings. And it will guard your mind. In other words, what you're thinking. Paul says that this peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not in you. It's not you laying awake at night with all the thoughts running through your head saying, I've just got to guard that. The peace of God's going to guard that, so I've got to plug it in. Paul says, offer those requests to the Lord. Be faithful in your diligent pursuit of your fruitful and effective prayer life. When anxieties come, bring them to the Lord. Be anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. And the way that you feel, in other words, the emotions that you feel, and the way that you think will be transformed and guarded by the peace of God. Instead of saying, why would God do this to me? You begin to say, God has a plan. He knows all things. And I'm going to give him thanks that I serve him. Because he loved me first. Can you imagine a body of believers this size going into a world that size and living as Paul has just expressed we ought to live? What a difference it would make. Even as I was preaching this morning, there's news that is coming onto my iPad that's popping onto my iPad of clashes going on in Ukraine and the stresses that are there and the debt ceiling. All of these things are flashing over my iPad. All these things to be anxious and worried about. We should be wise. But there were multiple things to just take to the Lord and let the Lord provide for us a peace that is His peace as we with thanksgiving bring all things to Him. Beloved, these are simple verses, clear commands. But is the application being fulfilled? Are you doing what Paul has commanded you to do? Are you living in a way that on a day-to-day walk, general conversations are interrupting your prayer life? Or are general conversations having to be ceased for your prayer life to start. 
one of the great things that we have as believers is we have instant access to our Savior, who is our mediator between God and man. My prayer for you all this week is this, that general conversations will interrupt your prayer life this week, not the other way around. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that we serve a God who knows all things, has given to us all things that are needed for faithfulness and obedience. Lord, I first and foremost pray for those who do not yet know you as Savior, who are in the hearing of this message, and they are on the outside of their prayers being heard. I pray that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. Or that your Spirit would be at work in their life, that they would understand that there is a, a, a void, there is something that is missing as they're trying to do their own way and work their own efforts out to some salvific experience, that they will never arrive. May they understand the truth that it is only through Christ. When Christ said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, he meant it. I pray that if there are any who do not yet know you as Savior today, in the hearing of this message, that they would come to know Christ as Savior. Lord, specifically, I'm concerned for those of us who do know you, who've spent uh, days, weeks, years, decades walking with you. And yet we're still consumed by anxieties, the stresses of the things that we do not know from a time that is yet future. I pray that we would be faithful now in allowing our prayer life to be so impactful that everyday conversations must interrupt to have the opportunity to be heard and participated in by us. And that as soon as that conversation is over, that we're back in communion with you, that we're praying about everything. Lord, it is so easy for us to see no immediate results and to therefore shelve this practice. I pray that we would not do so that we would begin to recognize the great value of the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. May our anxiety levels decrease to the point where we are anxious about nothing, praying about everything, that this congregation would walk into a world that is confused, conflicted, frustrated, a world that is anxious about everything from the cost of inflation to the war in Ukraine to the violence in India to the raising of the debt ceiling here in the United States and everything else in between. Lord, may we be Christ to them. May they see the peace of God which surpasses all understanding lived out through us as we endure the same trials they endure. May we rejoice always, as Paul would say again, he says rejoice. And may we be those who pray always about everything. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. And as we continue in worship through music, I pray that your name would be glorified as we lift our voices together. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that we have learned today. Allow us to put it into practice. Teach us how to do so, that we may implement it for your glory and for our good. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.